16, verses 1 through 7. Romans 15. It's the tradition here at Ammon Valley, sort of one that that I've noticed in another church and have incorporated into the the sermons of, of our own congregation, that we would start each year assessing the state of the church. And um, we typically focus during these state of the church messages on one um, arena, you might say, of the church, either the local congregation, and I've preached several messages in previous years on how is our church doing in in various ways, in various aspects of ministry. Um, Also, uh, at times we've thought about the denomination that we belong to, the Christian Reformed Church of North America, a denomination of about 800 congregations in the United States and Canada, and uh, we've thought about um, recent events in the Christian Reformed Church in previous years. And then also, we've thought at times about the church in the United States. What does it mean to be a Christian in America? Um, What is the state of the American church? Um, Or even thought at times of the church throughout the world. What is happening in, in different places? And what are some trends that we might see unfolding in the worldwide church. And um, instead of isolating the application of our passage today to just one of those levels, uh, local church, denomination, American church, or worldwide church, we're going to consider what Romans 15 has to say to all of those different levels. And so um, the structure of the sermon this morning will hopefully be fairly easy to follow. We'll learn the passage, what, what God is teaching in this great part of his word uh, we'll discern what it's teaching um, us individually and then us as a church, also the Christian Reformed Church, and um, spend some time thinking about how this might apply also to the church in the United States. And so um, that's, that's the general uh, outline, and um, hopefully you can follow along as we learn from God's Word. Now let's pray before um, we, we read this great passage together. Let's pray. O Lord, your word is perfect, inspired, and true. And we began our service asking that you would speak, O Lord, that you would build us up in the truth, that you would build this church, and that you would would give us revelation so that we might know you more fully even so that the earth might be full of your glory. God, we pray that you will help us to know you today. And we pray that you would change us, that you would transform us by your word. We open ourselves up to correction now. We open ourselves up, we open our minds up for instruction. We pray that you would fill us with the good food of your holy word in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans chapter 15, uh, verses 1 through 7. Paul writes to the Roman Christians, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, 
that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. This passage begins with a demanding challenge for the Christian. In verses 1 through 3 of what we just read, we learn that we who are strong, we who have faith in Christ, have an obligation. We have an instruction. What is that instruction? It is to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Why? Because this is what Christ did. This is how Jesus lived. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So Paul is telling the Roman Christians to follow the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. He lived for the good of those around him. He built people up, not living selfishly, but carrying the burdens of the people that he met. The Christian life is not just about believing in Jesus, therefore, but it's about following Jesus, living like he lived, conforming your life to the pattern that he set for us. Put another way, we can say that that we show we believe in Jesus when we follow Jesus. We show that we really believe in Christ, that we are truly born again when we love like Jesus loved, when we build people up, when we do what is good for our neighbor. I once heard a pastor talk about following Jesus in a way that was both very helpful to me but also very challenging to me. The pastor said that in one sense, Following Jesus is the easiest decision you could ever make. He said, well, consider all the benefits of following Christ. Consider all the benefits of being a Christian, of surrendering your life into the hands of Almighty God, a loving God, a God who is full of grace and patience, a God who is faithful. Consider the benefits, brothers and sisters, that that you would surrender control of your life control that you never really had to begin with, and that you trust in God to provide for all you need. So rather than being stuck in sin, rather than being reliant on yourself, you are promised forgiveness through Christ. You're promised rest in the presence of Jesus. You let go of trusting in yourself with all the worry, all the anxiety that comes from this, It comes from a self-centered life, and your new life is built on a firm foundation, a foundation of Christ on the work of Jesus and on the words of the Bible. So the Christian has confidence that you know the most important thing you could ever know. Isn't that one of the big questions in our society, that people want to know what life is really all about? What is the most important question that we could answer? The Christian has confidence that we know the answer that the most important thing you could ever know is that you belong, body and soul, and life and death, to a faithful Savior 
Jesus Christ. What could be easier than making that decision to, to believe that, to follow Jesus, to live in this life of fullness? Jesus even said to his followers, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, meaning that he'll carry us when we follow him, when we walk with him. So on one hand, it should be an easy decision to follow Christ. It's a life full of countless blessing. But the pastor also recognized that, that it's also the hardest decision that you could ever make. Because the Christian life has tremendous responsibilities and demands on your life as well. So the passage taught us that a Christian will live to please your neighbor and build him up. A Christian will follow the pattern of Christ's life, will mold your life, will conform your thoughts, not to the standard anymore of this world, which is actually kind of easy in a way, but you'll conform your thoughts now to the way of Christ, the word of God. The passage taught us you'll live to please your neighbor and build him up. The atheist doesn't have to worry about this. The atheist can choose who they care about and who they can just hate or disregard. The atheist can choose who they'll be patient with. It's the kind of people that you want around in your life and who they can discard. You don't have to deal with those kinds of people anymore. But the follower of Jesus is different. There's a demand on us to live with grace, to speak the truth, to care for others and to do what, what Paul said in Romans 15, to build people up. In fact, it's really those people who need the most help that we are called to love. So on one hand, we find that the promises of the gospel are, are easy and attractive to accept. On the other hand, we see in this passage that, that there's a demand on our lives, and it is demanding. And so in the first three verses of Romans 15, we're called to live like Jesus, and the next question should be, how will a Christian learn what Jesus would do? How will we know um, if we're on the right track or if we've strayed in some way? How will a Christian endure when you're failing to emulate Christ well? Where will you look for encouragement when you feel like giving up on following Jesus? So we come to the central verse of our passage to learn the answer to all of those questions for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. So we have the scriptures that give us instruction and when we believe what the Bible says we will live with endurance and encouragement and hope. When the Apostle Paul wrote these words of course he was referring to the Old Testament the New Testament hadn't been compiled yet. It was still unfolding as Paul's letter itself was inspired by God and included in what would become what we call today the Bible. And so years after the Apostle Paul wrote uh, this letter, the 27 books of the New Testament would be compiled and put on the same level regarded as having been inspired in the same way as the Old Testament creating what we now call the Bible, the Word of God, the Scriptures. 
And so although the Apostle Paul is referring specifically to the Old Testament in this passage, we can certainly make the application that this matters for all of the scriptures for us today. So the Bible was written for our instruction, was written for our instruction. The Bible is the perfect, infallible, inspired word of God that was written, that was given to us for growing in understanding, understanding of God and of how God works in the world and of what God's ultimate plan for the world is as well. That word instruction makes me think of some Christmas presents that um, my children received um, this year, really presents they receive every year. They got some Lego sets this year. And um, today we bought, or this year, last year I guess I should say now, um, uh, we, we got two large Lego sets for our youngest two sons, Simon and Caleb. And they know the drill. They know what to do when they see this box of Lego. They open it, they open the bags, and they hold dearly to those instructions. I used to call them constructions when I was a kid. And I kind of like that little slip that I had because instructions enable you to construct something. And so when you're building Lego, you know that if you miss by just one a few millimeters um, in the build that you're doing, especially early on in the build, um, you could end up in some trouble later on and you would need to deconstruct the whole thing and get, get back to where we, you went wrong in following the instructions so that the build can be correct. So if you place one of those bricks just a few millimeters away from where it belongs, the whole thing comes out wrong. And it's the same way in, in life. In knowing Jesus, the scriptures were written for our instruction so that through our believing in Christ and through the work of the Spirit, God would construct our lives in a way that is pleasing to him, in the right way. So the scriptures given to us for instruction so that you might know Jesus, might know who he is, and so that you might follow Jesus. So it's not just that we would know about Christ, but the scriptures were given to us so that we would have understanding and how also to follow Christ. So the result of knowing and believing the Bible is then endurance and encouragement that results in hope. If you know someone who knows a lot about the Bible but is lacking in joy, if you know someone who, or maybe it's you today, who knows a lot about the stories in the Bible and the miracles that Jesus did and the basic gospel story of how he died on the cross to save us from sin and hell and death and rose again on the third day. If you know someone or are someone who knows all the facts but are lacking in joy, they're missing something about God's word. Because the word of God was given to us for our understanding so that we would have endurance, encouragement, and hope. Brothers and sisters, if you feel like giving up on the Christian life, I hope that you find it helpful today to hear that there's instruction in the Bible for how to grow in hope, for how to grow in endurance and encouragement. When you are discouraged, I hope that you think, I need to read the Word of God. I need to find out 
more about Jesus, more about what God has done in the world, more about what God has done for me. The response, the Christian response to discouragement is to open the Word of God. So, the reason that I selected this passage this morning is that it confronts two temptations that are prevalent at all levels of the church, from from the individual person all the way up to entire denominations or even trends in, in various nations throughout this world. There are two temptations that this passage confronts. So while Romans 15 shows us the connection between knowing Christ and understanding the scriptures, there are some in the world who want to separate those two uh, from each other. There are some people who want Jesus without the Bible. They want to say they're a Christian or they, they, they maybe want to go to a church that is exciting but has very little to do with what the Bible teaches. This is a common trend, uh, maybe at work in your own thinking, certainly at work in some whole churches, some denominations, some entire nations. There are those who want Jesus without the Bible. Or maybe, if we want to be more precise in this challenge, we could say that, that it's possible that some people like certain attributes about Jesus. They like stories that demonstrate his mercy, his wise teaching, or his compassion, and they would kind of prefer to avoid those other passages that are about the holiness of God, the judgment of God, even where Christ himself is very serious, deadly serious about sin and the disastrous effects that sin has in our lives. And so it's popular and it's possible that people are worshiping a false god, sometimes even using the name of Jesus, but not really understanding who he truly is and how he is represented in the word of God. Every cult says they believe in Jesus. But when you hold their teaching up to the scriptures, you can see they don't worship the true Christ of the scriptures. They lack understanding from the word of God that would point them to who God really is and what he has really done. So this is a temptation in our culture that some want Jesus without the scriptures. And there's sort of a mirror temptation that's very similar to that that is also confronted in this passage. Others want the Bible, but forget about Jesus. And so Christianity becomes almost like a philosophy. Kind of some, some how-tos in, in how to live your life. And, and some people would actually spend a lot of time studying the Bible, thinking about the Bible, listening to podcasts and lectures about the Bible, but, but all along lack the essential ingredient of Christ, of seeking Christ in the Word of God. Reformed theologians, um, part of the reason I love being a Reformed pastor, a Calvinist, is that the great Reformed theologians will always keep in mind that, that we study the Scriptures not just an end unto themselves, but that we study the Scriptures so that we would grow in relationship with God. Brothers and sisters, the Lord God desires relationship with you. He's given us instructions for the relationship, but let's not worship the instructions 
and lack understanding and where they're pointing us to, which is Christ. Christ himself. We need to think precisely about the goal of knowing the Bible. Our motivation isn't just to know the Bible, but it is to know Christ. That's what the Apostle Paul said. I desire to know one thing among you, that is Christ crucified. So we know Jesus, we know God, we know his will for us through the scriptures. We can't disregard them, dismiss them, dispose of the scriptures, but always keeping in mind the motivation of opening our Bibles is to know God, not just to gain knowledge for its own sake. Knowledge of the Bible in and of itself is not the objective of the Christian life. We'll put this another way. When you meet the Lord someday, um, I'm convinced that at the moment of, of every person's death, um, these sort of cartoonish interactions of standing at the gates and, you know, God asks you a question, I don't think that that'll exactly happen that way. I think at the very moment of a person's death, they'll know if they're in God's presence or far, far away from God's presence in judgment. But maybe to gain an understanding of what this is teaching us, when you meet the Lord someday, we can almost think of a parable. The question that will determine if you are bound for heaven or bound for hell will not be, did you know a lot about the Bible? The question will be, did you trust in Jesus Christ for your, in his death and resurrection for your salvation? You know, there's a, a group called the Society of Biblical Literature. It's the largest group of academics, and there's a meeting every year for those who are in the Society of Biblical Literature. And did you know that the vast, vast majority of those who are in the Society of Biblical Literature do not care about Jesus? are not followers of Christ, are not members of churches. They're people who study the Bible as literature in universities throughout the world. And so that's a, maybe a dramatic example of how there are many Christians in the society of biblical literature, but, but knowledge of the Bible in and of itself is not what God requires. He requires that we would venture on the Lord Jesus Christ for our salvation, that we would know him, that we would study the Bible to know Christ, to gain understanding of him. So, we can make applications to our local church. Is this how we understand the Christian life, the Christian faith? Thinking of the state of the church, let's make a local application of this passage. The teaching of Romans 15 should influence how you think about coming to church what you're hoping to get out of attending a church service or going to a Bible study, what you're hoping to get out of any interaction, actually, in this church. We come to commune with God through Jesus Christ, and we gain understanding of how that happens when we learn what the Bible says. So, we keep both at the forefront. We, we learn about how to live according to the Bible, but the goal is always union with Christ, union with God. One person might come for the experience, might come uh, hoping to hear the voice of Jesus, hoping to enjoy time with brothers and sisters in Christ, but maybe forgetting a little bit that, that you also need to gain understanding. 
You need to learn as a Christian. You need to to gain knowledge from the Scriptures so that you might know what the presence of Jesus actually is like. Another person might come to church hoping for a new insight or or something really interesting, uh, a nugget of wisdom in the sermon, some doctrine that they hadn't thought of for a little while, and maybe forgetting a little bit that, that we come to sit at the feet of Jesus. We come to hear the voice of Jesus, not just to gain an insight or a reminder of a doctrine per se, for, you know, for its own sake, but all these things pointing us to a relationship with God through Christ. When I became the pastor here at Ammon Valley, when I was candidating to, uh, you know, hoping to become the pastor here several years ago, uh, that's what I was looking for. And... Um, That's why I was so excited and remain so excited to be the pastor of this congregation, the lead pastor. Because I find that in this church there is a beautiful balance, a joy of being in the presence of Christ, but also a seriousness and a desire for the Word of God. I find that in so many cases, in churches where I have been, as a pastor, I've visited many, many churches, there is often one without the other. But Romans 15 tells us that, that we need this balance of knowing the Word of God. Uh, the Bible says that the Lord desires those who would tremble at His Word. Those who take seriously um, the holiness of God, the Word of God, and there are, there are those churches that do this well and, and tremble at the word of God but have no joy in the presence of Christ. They're, they're stodgy, they're legalistic, they're cold churches. And then on the other hand, there are those congregations that are, are warm and, and are, are seeking the Lord, uh, but, but there's not a lot of seriousness about what the word of God teaches. And so uh, one of really, I would say, the main reason I was so smitten by Ammon Valley and, and coming here and wanting to be the pastor, the lead pastor of the church, was that I saw this balance here at Ammon Valley of taking seriously the teaching of the scriptures, but remembering its, its telos or its goal is to know God, to grow in joy and peace in endurance and encouragement and in hope. So, I hope this continues to describe our church. And it will if all of our homes keep this balance. If in your daily devotional life you are seeking Christ in the scriptures. That the church is made up of families. Um, and, and we gather together and will be influenced by one another, by what is happening in each other's homes. And so, um, really the most foundational level, you might say, of Christian community is the home, is what happens in your home. Now, thinking of children, we can say the most formative church your children will ever enter is your house. So do you talk about Jesus? Not just church, not just God, more generally speaking, but do you say the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in your home? Is that the goal, like the Apostle Paul, to, to know one thing, Christ crucified? It's the goal of a Christian family. And similarly, do you also then 
Read the scriptures in your home. Because if we have this balance in our homes, uh, seeking God's word, having a, a seriousness about the word of God, but also seeking Christ, if that's happening in our homes, that's how our church will look as well. If you answer yes, we do talk about Jesus, we do read the Bible, you will have all that this verse promises. We will have understanding, endurance, encouragement, and hope. So turning our application to a broader context, we can think about the Christian Reformed Church. And maybe if you're a little bit newer to um, this congregation, you, you might not have all that much knowledge about the Christian Reformed Church of North America, but really what I'm saying could apply to just about any denomination in the United States today. How are we doing as a denomination with regards to understanding and encouragement in the scriptures in following Jesus? It's popular to bash the CRC. And I think that this is a, a, a sinful trend in the Christian Reformed Church right now. Just to criticize from afar, to stand back and say, I don't like this thing that happened or this article that I read or this thing I heard from a pastor. It's popular right now to, to, to be disloyal, to bash the CRC. And we can begin by recognizing, though, that there are so many faithful servants of Jesus in the Christian Reformed Church. I've gotten a firsthand look at this as um, the council has really encouraged me to dive into participating in the life of the broader Christian Reformed Church of the denomination as I've served on the Council of Delegates for a few years now, which is essentially the Board of Trustees of the denomination. And every time I go to a meeting in Grand Rapids or Every time I have a Zoom call, I make a new friend or I gain a new understanding of good things that are happening in Christian Reformed churches, good things that are happening through outreach ministries, amazing work that's being done by missionaries throughout the whole world. And so we can say that at our best, the Christian Reformed Church is holding on to Christ and living in awe with understanding of the Scriptures. But in verse 6, of our passage. The Apostle Paul wrote about the results that we'll see when our understanding of Jesus is shaped by the scriptures. Verse 6, Paul said, so together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the result of holding to the scriptures and to seeking Christ will be harmony, will be unity with one voice we're glorifying God, we're proclaiming the gospel. When Jesus prayed for the unity of the church in John 17, he prayed that we would receive his word and be purified with the truth, that unity and understanding of the scriptures go hand in hand. You can't really have one without the other. Harmony with Jesus and with other believers will be the result of holding to biblical Christianity. So describing future generations, Jesus, this was Jesus' prayer uh, in John 17, verses 20 and 21. He said, I think of not only our church, but our denomination when Jesus prayed this, I do not ask for these only, meaning the disciples only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. There's the word, the, cent uh, the central element of the word. That they all may be one 
just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one. So from believing in the word of God, the word of Christ, we become unified. We live in harmony together. Overall, we are a very united denomination. But there are times when we don't speak with one voice as a denomination. There are times when other voices are not in harmony with the teaching of the Bible or of the historic church. For example, there are about a dozen Christian Reformed churches right now that openly promote false teaching concerning human sexuality that you would find it on their websites. You would find it um, taught from the pulpits of some Christian Reformed churches. Again, it's, it's about a dozen is the number right now that are openly teaching what is against the scriptures concerning God's design for human sexuality and marriage. First, what is our response to, to learning something like that? First, do not be discouraged. Jesus said this would happen. Don't be surprised that wolves come in seeking to divide the flock with their teaching. So we shouldn't be discouraged by this. We shouldn't get so worried that, oh boy, that that thing is happening over there in, in another church and so maybe it will kind of infect us in some way. Brothers and sisters, here at Ammon Valley, we're going to stand on the word of God. And I'm going to teach what the Bible says. So some people get get very uptight and and anxious about something happening in another Christian Reformed church, thinking automatically that that our church would be swayed by some new wind of teaching that will not happen if we remain in the Scriptures focused on Christ. So we will live with understanding, endurance, encouragement, and hope in Christ so far as we stay in the Scriptures. The opening verses of Romans 15 call us to love our neighbors, to love our neighbors, those who are in error. Um, This passage said those who are are weak, the failings of the weak. And we're called to love them, to be patient, to speak the truth, to engage in relationship with them as Christ did with us while we were still sinners. Sinners. So the right approach is not reactionary anger, but is speaking the truth in love so that the church might glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with one voice. And that's, that's the, the goal, again, to return to harmony, unity in the Christian Reformed Church where we're believing the same things about what the Word of God teaches in our context that will also include, certainly, teaching concerning human sexuality. So, thinking more broadly and in closing about the church in America, would you say it's more common for people to want the Bible without Jesus or to read this, or to, um, to want Jesus that is sort of divorced from the Bible? I think it's option two, right? It's so common in evangelical Christianity to, to seek Christ but not know the word of God to desire an experience in in the presence of God, but have very little knowledge of what that might look like according to what the Bible says. 
That is, it is so common that people would worship God, uh, worship a God who doesn't always look or sound like the God of the Bible. And it's so prevalent in our culture. Thinking back to uh, the earlier application of the message, I think it's far more common in American churches to hear about the blessings of deciding to follow Jesus and maybe very little about the demands of following Christ. Uh, this is what, uh, what some theologians call easy believism, where it's, it's just easy, it's just you sort of go with the flow of culture and try to work Jesus into how you're living your life. Um, it's actually what the, the, the pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. And, and even Bonhoeffer himself gave his own life in a concentration camp in Germany following Christ, teaching what the word of God said. And so this is the, the prevalent temptation in our culture today is desiring to have sort of a consumeristic approach to, to Christianity. People want a Jesus who makes them happy, who fits in with their schedules and their personal goals, who has very little demands on their thought life, on their desires, on their schedules. So to correct this, I think the American church would benefit from not only knowing the scriptures, but knowing more fully what's happening in the worldwide church, especially the persecuted church. The ingredients for a thriving church are the same everywhere in the world. Whether it's here in Ripon, or in China, or one of the few churches left in Turkey or Pakistan, or uh, a church in, in, in Latin America or Africa, the ingredients are always the same for, for a healthy church. To trust in Jesus, to believe the Bible, and to live in harmony with one another. If you want to know God, remember that the scriptures were given for our understanding of him. If you want your Bible reading to be more edifying this coming year, when you open your Bible, don't just do so just to read the Bible, but do so to grow in relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So in closing, just a, a brief story of something I've learned from the persecuted church, the worldwide church. I saw a video recently of believers in China receiving their first Bibles. And uh, it was a, a powerful video. I couldn't find a good enough version to be able to show you today. But, but in this video, there was a box... Um, about half the size of this pulpit brought into a room, a very dark room. Um, I don't think there was any electricity in the room even because this, these were poor people. And the box uh, was opened and there was, were shrink-wrapped Bibles and, and as the, the Bibles were opened, people, all the people of this room swarmed to grab their copy of the scriptures like starving people did. Uh, they looked like people swarming to to bread, people who hadn't eaten for a week. And, and there was one woman in particular holding her Bible, holding it to her heart, crying with so much gratitude. I have the word of God now, and I can read it for myself. It was in her language. Brothers and sisters, is that your approach to the word of God? The scriptures were given for our understanding, our endurance, our encouragement, and our hope. The scriptures are a treasure. So enter into the year 2024 remembering this, 
you will grow in your relationship with Christ. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.